everybody, and you're listening to the Tough Like a Girl podcast. I'm Nathaniel. And I'm Liz. And this month we are <laughs> in not exactly a timely manner. If we timed this right, we would have done this last month. Um, but, you know, we are talking about Battle Angel Alita, the first collected volume, uh, story and art by Yukito Kishiro. Uh, before we get into a synopsis or anything like that, Liz, you this was something you had zero knowledge of, yes? Yeah. I mean, I knew the movie was coming out. I knew that you were excited for the movie, and you knew it, but that's all I knew. I didn't know anything about this. Now, this is, um, for listeners, this is the second manga that we've tackled, the previous one being Ghost in the Shell, mm-hmm. which was a chore Yes. for both of us. Uh-huh. <laughs> Um, so we'll see if this one does any better. Uh, Battle Angel Alita, um, the volume that we have collects the first seven. They're broken up by battles. Um, so this deals with a world in an indeterminate future, and it is set in a world that is literally built on garbage. It is a world that is sprung up around uh, and underneath a floating city, that dumps its trash, and the people in the city that we are actually dealing with um, live in, around, and sort through that garbage for what they need and what they can use. And there's the... Sorry. (laughs) You can take that down. Yep, I will. There's the hope and the promise of reaching this city and, and getting out, but honestly... That's really not something that happens. There's, uh, and as far as the sort of life um, in this area, there's, the law is basically upheld by bounty hunters. There isn't much in the way of an actual organized police force. There's a lot of blood sport going on. There's a lot of cyber augmentation, but it's kind of haphazard. These are not sleek you know, high-tech, oh, you can't even tell, cyborgs, you can tell when someone has been augmented. It's often fairly grotesque. It's mm-hmm. it's not pretty, but it gets the job done. So we open with um, a character named uh, Daisuke Ito, mm-hmm. who is basically a doctor, but because he's dealing largely with cybernetics, he's a doctor mechanic, effectively. And he comes across the in the junkyard, he comes across the remnants of a um, of a cyborg, of a young girl cyborg. There isn't a lot left of her, but he revives her, helps build her a new body, and that, of course, becomes Alita. Now, Alita has no memory of her life prior to being brought back by Ito, mm-hmm. and she has a fairly um, high degree of innocence about her, but she soon, uh, when circumstances make it necessary, she soon becomes aware of a very high degree of innate fighting abilities. Mm-hmm. And this um, and this series has been running for a long time. In this volume, she takes up uh, the mantle of a, um, I think, um, it's a hunter warrior, which is what they call the... Mm-hmm. The bounty hunters, bounty hunters and yeah. you know tracks down bounties, and it uh, the tail end of it deals with her largely going after this one massive, really, really unpleasant cyborg who she had who actually trashed her original body. Well, not her original original body, the first body that 
Ito built for her. Yes. This guy trashed. And she then gets a new one and ends up taking him on. And that sort of makes up the tail end of the book. Yeah. So, general thoughts. I kind of wanted to like it more than I did. Oh, man. <laughs> um, so, I think, first of all, I would have liked it better if it was in color. It, it 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 is in black and white, which most um, mangas, especially from the time that it was made, because this was originally published in '94, most mangas being done at that time were in, were in black and white. Yeah, so I would say I didn't, I certainly didn't hate it, but I and I like the premise of this being kind of an epic battle between the two of them, and I like the idea and the character of Alita. Um, I liked some of the fight scenes, but sometimes they were confusing. Um, and I wanted more character development. Okay. And there was some, but I think it could have been executed better. Okay. Um, there was some of Daisuke, there was some of Alita, and you kind of got to know what the villain's um, whole deal was by the end and try to feel some sympathy for him. But by then, it was kind of almost too late. Like, I wish they would have put that in a different section. Well, see, the thing is, I didn't... I actually really appreciated the what was done with the villain towards the tail end because I had forgotten that that was in there. Oh. Okay. So, like, it's... I haven't reread this in a long time, and a lot of the stuff that's stuck in my head about Alita is actually from the next volume, uh, uh. Tears of an Angel, which, when I started reading this and realized, oh, so much of the stuff that, like, really stuck with me isn't even in this volume. Should we just skip this and do the next one? But then I got to the end of this and went, no, I actually quite like this. What I liked about what they did with him is I don't think they were actually trying to garner sympathy for him. They uh -huh. are explaining why he is the monster that he is. Uh -huh. I never got the feeling that it was with any expectation that the reader was meant to sympathize with him just to come to a better understanding of how this world just destroys people and the ones who, the ones yeah. who thrive in it become literal monsters. I think that that sort of depth given to his background was more illustrative of the world that Alita is trying to exist in as opposed to trying to be, hey, don't you feel sorry for this guy? Because I didn't either, but I still really appreciated that, that stuff being there. Yeah. Um... Yeah, his tongue is more terrifying than Gene Simmons. He's, oh yeah, holy cow. And this, and this... He's a very grotesque character. Um, also, I, I had in my notes, I was like, oh my gosh, he has like a literal, literal boar's head at his crotch, which means he's pig-headed. <laughs> <laughs> I had to put that in. I was like, that's new meaning to the word pig-headed. That's good. That's, oh, that's really good. <laughs> yes, boom, thank you. <laughs> so, like, I suppose this is a good a point as any to mention. Uh, this will be our second month in a row. This one's not for kids. Yes. Here's here's what I will say is that I, especially... Pretty violent. Well, yeah, I'm getting there. But, uh, but I was going to say, especially for the time that it was written, Alita is pretty unsexualized. As far as manga protagon female yes. protagonists, especially early mid nineties manga female protagonists. That's true. Not like by today's standards, eh, uh, 
could have been better, but certainly for the time, it was actually quite progressive how non-sexualized she was versus what was standard for this kind of story in this medium. But this is a very... Like, there are... That being said, can I add that there is some sexism against Alita? Like, they call her honey and baby a lot, the male characters... Um, and there's an indication, like, and they didn't really go into it much, but I had it in my notes. Um, and it was that, oh, that, like, that the monster had, like, a crush on her or something or was in love with her. And I was like, ew, ew, ew. Well, what I will say, and, and at least from my position, I feel like some of the characters sexualized her. I never felt like the book did. I never felt no, like the artist true. did. No, she is, and that's that's kind of the distinction I'm I'm her making. clothing and her body were not objectified yeah. overtly. Uh, some of the characters sexualize her, yes, but okay. the but the story itself does not. Um, but yes, it's very like you. I'm looking right now at a panel of a guy's top of his head being ripped off so that a cyborg can eat his brain. It is yeah, pretty... the brain. I think it was just for what it was. It was too much grotesqueness and. A lot of fighting and not enough, like, story or character development for me to really get into it. And I suppose that's fair. This series as a whole is pretty much on a slow burn because this this thing is 200-something-odd pages. And it really is, uh, if you were to plot it out, it is not much more than Ito finds Alita, rebuilds her, she finds out that he's... Uh, Bounty hunter on the side. She takes it up, takes down a big guy, like that. And most you, of it is a battle uh, between her and the monster. So. Yeah. So, like that laid out, you wouldn't. I wouldn't normally think you'd need over two hundred pages to tell mm-hmm. that story. So, I I will grant you that long term storytelling in this. Makaku was the monster's name. That by was the way. him. I was like, I can't. Remember I knew it started it. with an M, but I couldn't remember. And it's mm-hmm. one of the things that threw me off because I have seen the movie and they changed the name of some of the characters, including that movie's equivalent of Makaku. So I could not remember what the heck he was now. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, it it is it is taking its time. There are a lot of action scenes. They are drawn out. If if action in um, illustrated form is not your bag. Yeah, this is this is not a narrative-driven story. This is a... I would argue it is a partly a character-driven story, but it is a character-and-action-driven story. It's mm-hmm. not... It's There's not a lot of plot going on here. No. And even the character development is, again, on a slow burn. Yeah. They, it did have some interesting philosophical elements that it played with in terms of, like, finding your identity and... His Makaku's like suffering and how he handled it and how he tried to end his own suffering through making others suffer. Yeah. And things like that. So, but I feel like it picked up those elements and kind of played with them, but didn't quite flesh them out, is I think my other issue with the book. Okay. So. There was a lot where I was like, I want to follow through with this. And then it was like, no, time for more fighting. So. <laughs> yeah. It, yes, it is. This is an action story with some philosophical beats in it, as opposed to a philosophical story with action beats in it. Yeah. The, the, the emphasis is much more on the action end of things. Um, I did. I did like Ido, too. 
I I like their dynamic a lot because, again, especially for what would have been standard at the time, it would have been very typical of early mid-90s manga for him to just perv all over Alita. Yeah. And and he doesn't. He has a very paternal yeah, relationship with her. Yeah, he really wants to keep her. her innocent, and she doesn't want that. So I kind of like that that dynamic between them, that struggle. Yeah. Um, and, and he does... He kind of looks like Inspector Gadget, too. He does a little bit, actually. <laughs> I was trying to figure it out the whole thing. I was like, he looks something, and I was like, I think it's Inspector Gadget a little when bit. He, that outfit that they have him in, when <laughs> the he... The trench coat. The trench coat and the hat. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yep. a little bit. Um, but, and and even, you know, like, the, the book does sort of make it, and Alita certainly feels this way, does kind of make it clear that he is overshooting with the degree to which he's trying to keep her quote-unquote innocent and protected yeah yeah so it's it's also you know the story is kind of being like dude ease off so even his if your behavior isn't validated by the narrative which again i appreciate especially for when it was written um so you have not seen the movie no do you want to say a little bit about the movie i will say a little bit about the movie i liked it Quite a bit. I And I've liked it more the more I've thought about it. Mm-hmm. It is narratively a bit clunky because the movie, it doesn't directly, it's not a one for one in telling the story, but it basically crams in elements from the first three volumes of mm-hmm. this. So that's like 600 pages worth of stuff that they're trying to fit into a movie. Mm-hmm. And the result is some of the story turns don't always feel justified. So, mm-hmm. like, in the movie, Alita becomes a hunter-warrior, and we don't even see her track down a single bounty before she has switched gears, and now she's participating in Motorball, which is, <laughs> okay. which is stuff that happens two volumes after this. So, like, that's kind of what I mean there. But that said, um, Rosa Salazar, who plays Alita, is a... Amazing. She is so phenomenal. And the animation work that is done to bring the character to life, she is so expressive. The just the look on her face, stepping out into the city for the first time. Look like looking at a city that is literally built of garbage. Mm-hmm. The look of wonder and awe that she has with no words. Like Oliver's best acting is is wordless. She is amazing. And Christoph Waltz does a very good job as Ito, too, because Ito gets stuck with a lot of the exposition. But because Christoph Waltz is a very good actor, he's able to make that digestible. And the dynamic between the two of them is exactly what I wanted. And the action is very inventive and very easy to follow. It, it's the kind of action, it, and it is representative of what's in the book, it's the kind of action that could get just become a mess mm-hmm. to try and track, but it follows well. And so the characters worked for me, the emotions worked for me, the actors worked for me, which is what I needed to work. Narratively, it is clunky. There are Mm -hmm. definitely problems with it, but the things that it did right were what I needed it to do right. So I'm fairly forgiving of the problems that it has while not denying that they exist. Yeah, I would I would say given that the books aren't particularly strong narratively, I could understand the movie not being particularly strong narratively. The thing is, I feel like if they had taken the approach of the of the OVA, um, which is uh, original video animation um, mm-hmm. that was done of this, which collected stuff from the first two volumes, mm-hmm. that would have worked as a good through line. Pulling in stuff from the third volume as well, I think, was a mistake. There are a lot of movies that when they try to cover 
multiple volumes or books or things. It, yeah. it gets messy. And Well, and the end of the movie is also weird because it, it feels like it ends multiple times, but then also doesn't end properly. Ah, it's, okay. It's a little weird. It doesn't kill the movie, but it is a little weird. Um, yeah. But it, at this point, it's out of theaters. But And also, it's worth saying the movie is PG-13, so the movie is much more friendly towards less brain rippy oh yes the the (laughs) like if you if you have a 13 year old um who likes action stuff and likes sci-fi i would absolutely recommend the movie i would not necessarily recommend the manga Mm. because the manga's like parents call maybe your kid can handle it but like that's some gory stuff the movie the action is hard hitting but not gory so it feels like I was more positive on this than you were. Yeah, that's safe to say. Oh, which um, happens. Yeah. No. Did, I, did you like it more than Ghost in the Shell? Oh yeah. Okay. Oh yeah. <laughs> just it was just, much just, shorter to begin with. It was less exploitative. Um, Here's the thing, actually, page count. It's not that much shorter. It's it less. Felt a lot shorter. <laughs> it's less bloated. Than with, Ghost in the Shell yeah. is. Ghost in the I mean, Shell but is there bloated. Will be entire pages where it's like sound effects, fighting sound effects. So it it reads pretty easy. I read it in like I don't know an hour or so. I was yeah. coming back. On the, the plane, this is so. a brisk read. Ghost in the Shell is not a brisk read. Holy cow! No, that was that was some hefty material. Yeah. I would, I mean, given what you've said about the movie, I don't think I'd rush out to see it, but I'd be willing to check it out. I think you'd like it, actually. Yeah. So my, I might, might try and dredge that up when it's available on video. But I think that'll, that'll do it for this. Now, we have actually um, a bit of feedback to cover after a quick commercial break because um, there was additional feedback done on the episode from two months ago after we recorded... Last month's mm-hmm. episode, and then we have feedback from last month's episode. So come on back uh, on the other side of the whatever promo we're going to play, and we'll talk about that. Can you believe it, Jay? Young Justice is back! The Cartoon Network show from five years ago? Uh, no, yeah, that too. I, I, I mean the comic book. Oh, cool, a comic book based off the Cartoon Network show? No, yeah, I mean that too, but but not oh, that. The 1998 Peter David run? No, yeah, uh, kind of, I mean... Oh, this is going to get confusing. Wait, 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 wait. Are you trying to say that there's a brand new comic book series written by Brian Michael Bendis with art by Patrick Gleason, along with a new season of the animated show on the DC Universe streaming app and a digital first comic that fills in the gaps between seasons two and three? Yes. I mean, yes. Sounds like we need a podcast to keep all this straight. (laughs) That's what I've been trying to say. Well, say it. The new podcast, Everyone Loves Young Justice, will spin out of Robin, Everyone Loves the Drake, as a sister podcast, following the adventures of Tim Drake and his new team, Young Justice, with members like Superboy, Impulse, Wonder Girl, Arrowette, Red Tornado, The Justice Cave, Miss Martian, Blue Beetle, Shazam, The Super Cycle, Ginny Hex, Teen Lantern, Jay, Jay! What? (laughs) One thing at a time, man. Oh, sorry. We will start right where it all began in the pages of the 1998 Peter David run. And we will alternate between that and the new Brian Michael Bendis 2019 run. While also discussing the DC Universe animated series and tie-in comics. We are part of the BatmanUniverse.net podcast network. We can be found there or wherever you listen to your podcasts. We're going to cover all aspects of Young Justice. Man, I love Young Justice. I know. 
Everyone does. Oh, I get it. <sighs> so, and now for some listener feedback. First of all, we have a, a late uh, comment on episode number 27, where we covered Princeless, Save Thyself, uh, first volume. And Tim Price uh, came in uh, under the wire. He said, uh, afraid... It's not under the wire. They can comment whenever they yes, want. Yes, no, no, no. We just recorded it. We, we reco- I, I am, This is, yeah. I'm giving grief, and now I'm getting grief for giving grief. Which, and rightfully so. Okay, fine. So so what Tim said is, um, afraid I heard of Princeless but hadn't read it. My daughters hadn't even heard of it, so now my mission is to correct that. This book sounds amazing, so I will be reading it in the near future. From the previous episode, returning to my comment on Steven Universe, to get the whole story, and it is a big epic story, you would have to start from the beginning. Naturally, that's not how I watched it. My girls would queue up random episodes on YouTube, and I enjoyed it plenty that way. If there's one early episode that hooked me on the characters, it was the test. All the feels. Sorry for the brief reply this time. That's just how it goes sometimes, but thanks for another great show, my punchers. Yeah, Steven Universe is something that keeps getting recommended to me. I've seen two episodes of it. I li- I've liked it, and then it's something I'm like, I would be willing to watch more of this, but like, it's a lot of like, sort of animated shows that a lot of adults like or have underlying messages. I kind of forget that I want to see them. Like, I want to see more of Gravity Falls. I've liked what I've seen of that, but then I forget that I want to, and I have other things on my radar, so. Yeah. I mean, the... <sighs> There are too many shows that I'm sure I would like that I, I just, even trying to pick one to catch up on is hard. Because I'm sure I would like Steven Universe. I'd probably like Gravity Falls. I'm sure I'd like Avatar The Last Airbender if I ever get around to it. Yeah. I would say just pick a few key episodes and try not to catch on, the, on them because that is a task for anything that has more than like two seasons. Well, th- this is why I'm getting you into Doctor Who with a very curated... Episode viewing. We're skipping Thank a lot. You. <laughs> that is a lot. Okay. So now we're going to move on to comments on last month's episode for Rat Queens Volume 1, Sass and Sorcery. Do you want to take the first one? Yes. Give me one second. Here we go. Make sure you edit this out too. All right. So first one for Rat Queens. Um... Nice. I have one friend who is really, and this is by Siskoid. Nice. I have one friend who is really into Rat Queen, so I've been meaning to take her recommendation to heart for a bit. I guess the second opinion supports the first. Um, next up, we have Brian Linton. Thanks for the recommendation. I've seen Rat Queens on the shelves before and thought it looked interesting, but I've never picked it up. I'll definitely need to add it to my reading list. I'm a sucker for stories that capture the feel of a tabletop RPG adventure. Now, the next comment is one we're going to have to deal with a little bit yes um this is from rachel i still intend to read rat queens one day everyone i know who has read it really enjoyed it but i caution against singing the praises of rock up church too much as he was kicked off the book after being arrested for domestic abuse including assault and rape a rock up church being the artist of the volume that we read yes I'm not saying you can't enjoy his art. I still, I like plenty of art created by abusers, but Upchurch isn't on the side of women. 
Um, just so you know. Just so you know. Sorry. I am not good at acronyms. <laughs> neither, am I, neither am I. I'm surprised I knew that one. I'm really, yeah, I'm impressed. The artist following, Tess Fowler, left after feeling she was being pushed out to prepare for Upchurch's return. Writer Curtis JYB alleged otherwise and has spoken very negatively of Fowler since. I, for one, am more inclined to believe Fowler, and all of this is why Rat Queens has dropped far, far down on down my to read list. Yeah. Um, first so, of all, I had no idea about Upchurch. Did you? Yeah, no, I did not. I, this well, was, I was not like, something. Oh, dang. Well, I mean, you know me in research. I don't do it. So, no, of course I didn't know. I'm like, I, I feel like it's awful. Like, every. There's so many things I like, and I'm like, dang it, now I can't <laughs> like them anymore. Yeah. You know? So, the, what, what. I found looking into it deeper was that yes, Rock Up Church was arrested for domestic abuse in 2014, I believe, and he was removed from the book when that happened. Um, Tess Fowler then did the art for a few years. Now, as Rachel notes, there are competing um, versions of why she was taken off the book. Mm-hmm. Um, now, she was the one who went public first so her story got out there first and it was her claim that she was being pushed out so that rock church uh, rock up church could come back um onto the book now that did not happen mm-hmm. that doesn't necessarily mean that she was lying it, but it could mean one of two things it it could mean that she believed that was why she was being pushed out but it was actually never the case mm-hmm. it could be that it was the case, but then when she went public with the story, the reaction was so negative that they decided to not bring up church back. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's impossible to know. The, the, the reality is that she was off the book. She claimed that was why. YB um, said that was not why. There, was, there had become difficulties with them working with each other. How accurate that is, I don't know. I didn't look into the specifics of what he said about working with her, so I don't know how nasty that got. Mm-hmm. Um, and Rock Church never did, uh, Rock Up Church never did come back to the book. No, so, shouldn't. No, which I'm glad for. So those are the things that I can say solidly. So if, if what happened there, which as I said, feels very much unclear in terms of exactly who did what for what reason in terms of Tess Fowler being taken off the book. Mm -hmm. Assuming that that doesn't color your opinion of the writer Mm -hmm. and your only issue is with Rock Upchurch, the artist, you can skip to volume three because Uh, his his work only appears in the first two trade volumes. If you skip to volume three, you move past his stuff if that is an issue for people. Yeah, I think that would be an issue for me, unfortunately. Because I did really like the first one, but given what has come to light and now that we know this, um, yeah, I don't. Yeah. It, it certainly puts a taint on a series I really liked. It Yeah, it was, um, that, that was not fun to find out. Yeah, and not just that, but like the controversy and everything following his possible return and everything. It's all like, kind of like, oh, I... Um, so, I need to go back to my like middle school drama books that are written by like one person. <laughs> <laughs> so a last comment from Tim Price. Uh, your enthusiasm sold me and luckily Comixology had volume one on sale. Just finished reading it and what a trip. Yes, I'm old enough to say that unironically. 
Great characters in both visual and personality. Crazy action. Deceptively involved story. The plot. The plot! And not for kids. Oh no, indeed. My girls are almost, almost as in quotes here, old enough, but I won't, I wouldn't recommend it for them as it is too violent for their tastes. But I had fun with it. Oddly, I'm not into fantasy overall. Sure, I've read Lord of the Rings and Narnia, but not a lot else. I actually don't think those are the best examples to get into it if it's not normally your bag. But that's another conversation. Um, and I never got into RPGs. Oh, I tried, but I was never good at it. So I didn't actively pursue it. What are you laughing at? I've never tried, but I just know it would not... I don't think it would be my thing. <laughs> uh, however, I picked up lots of the genre's conventions, so I know a fair bit about them, letting me to appreciate Rat Queens on that level, too. Thanks for covering this one, my punchers. Till next time. Uh, and then he added, guess my secret's out. I'm slow listening and commenting on podcasts on the fact that we <laughs> that we hadn't gotten his feedback on the previous one yet. Uh. So, yeah. Uh, unfortunately, Rat Queens did get... A little bit complicated with things there. Uh, the other thing I'll mention in regards to Rat Queens, mm-hmm. um, and I know about this because I friend is too strong a word. I don't know her that well, but someone whose work I have been following online for a while and who does and who has followed me back and who I've interacted with mm-hmm. a little bit, um, uh, a comic named Riley Silverman, mm-hmm. is actually on a recently launched. Um, it's how do I explain this? It's an art, it's a role-playing campaign where the players are all playing the Rat Queen characters. And she's I she's love playing world. she's playing Braga <laughs> uh-huh. on it. And I believe it's on I believe it's available through Twitch. I I think. I don't really know. I have yet to properly figure out how Twitch works. Yeah, I hear a lot about but, it from my kids, and I'm like, I okay. But that is something that I'm trying to nail down to check out, because I I like Riley a lot, and the promos that they put out looked a, like a lot it of fun. It looked like a lot of fun. And yeah, I mean, it is kind of sad that this whole thing happened, like, dang it, Upchurch. Because there are a lot of, like, women and, like, femme-presenting people that really, like... Rat queens. Yeah, and, and, and I mean it. It is. It is a full cast of women. I'm pretty sure the dungeon master's a woman. It. Yeah, it looks like a lot of fun. So I, I, I would recommend checking that out anyway because yes, okay, it has a connection to the original work, but it's it's this cool project being run by a bunch of geeky ladies. Mm-hmm. That does sound cool. So, I guess we'll wrap it up there. And keeping in line with our not quite um, timely topical. Things next month we're gonna okay. do we're gonna do Captain Marvel, <laughs> which you are gonna see tonight. Yes, I am. Uh, not too long after we record this, I'll see that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we will uh, see you folks in a month, and uh, yeah, have a good have a good month until that. I gotta figure out a sign off for this. Thing. I know. Bye. Tough Like a Girl is a Council of Geeks production and a presentation of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Feedback can be left at fireandwaterpodcast.com or on the Facebook page for Fire and Water Podcast and Council of Geeks. Our logo art was created by Nick Buxom and our theme music is composed and performed by Erica Dreisbach, whose other works can be found at ericaricardo.com. Bye.